In this episode, we want to talk about building a preaching calendar. So this is one of those things that's going to be more helpful to you if you're in charge of leading the preaching ministry of a church. Maybe you're a church planter. Maybe you're working in an established church. Uh, if you're on staff somewhere, this probably isn't on your list of responsibilities. There's someone leading the pulpit who's building the preaching calendar. But for those of you that, that are called to do this, I want to help you think through how you can think about a preaching calendar in the most effective and helpful way. And a lot of this that you're going to hear from me, I'm just leveraging what I learned from Tim Keller. Uh, and I think his wisdom here is insightful. Um, so let me walk you through these bullet points and then we'll discuss them and talk about how we do this at Quorum Deo Church. Uh, first of all, I think you should aim for eight to 12 week sermon series. Um, sometimes you can go longer than that, but generally I think what we've learned, if you just want to think about sort of like best practices, an eight to 12 week series is long enough that people can build a sense of interest and momentum in whatever the topic is. But it's not so long that it feels like we've been in this book forever. Now, I realize there's, you know, John Piper preached four years in Romans. And so there's exceptions to the rule. But most of you are also not John Piper. So don't try to do four years of a sermon series. Uh, the church planners I know who are like, hey, the first year of our church, we're going to preach through the gospel of Luke. It's going to be a year and a half. Maybe not the best idea. I'm not saying it's not the word of God. I'm just saying you might want to think about building a series a little differently. Um, here's why I would say that. Um, and this is, again, something I, I borrowed from Keller. Keller says that New York, because it's a very transient city, there's always a lot of turnover. People are moving in and moving out. I think that's true not just in New York City. I think that's true of most metropolitan areas. Here in Omaha, Nebraska, in the middle of the heartland, a very sort of uh, agrarian, conservative place, there's a lot of people moving in and out. There are med students who come and do residencies and move on. There's college students who come over for school and move away. Even the people that feel stable in our church get job offers in other places, and they're always coming and going. And so we've found, even in our own church that has a little more stability than New York City, it's great to think in terms of a four- to five-year timeline. Now, I also cut my teeth doing campus ministry, and so I know if I meet a student when they're a freshman, I've got four years with them, and then they're going to graduate and move on. And so I think in general, I just think in terms of that. But there's people who have been a part of our church for more than a decade, and I don't think they would say, yeah, we keep preaching the same stuff. I think they would say, hey, I know if someone's here for three or four years at Quorumdale, they're going to get a good, solid biblical education. And having been here for 12 years... I feel like I'm still growing in the Lord. So I like to think in terms of what would someone, if someone's in your church for four to five years, how much of the Bible do they get? That's why I'm not in favor of generally doing year or two year long series. Because if someone's in my church for four or five years and two years of that is the Gospel of Luke, they're going to know a lot about the Gospel of Luke, but we're probably not going to cover Job or Genesis or Revelation because we just don't have time. So we try to think in terms of 8 to 12 week series following the church year and the school year. I'll come back to those in a minute. And trying to cover the whole counsel of God. Trying to tap every genre of scripture. Have we been in the Old Testament? Have we been in the Psalms? Have we been in the prophets? Have we tackled some gospel? And have we taught some of the New Testament epistles and maybe some apocalyptic? If we've done that in a four or five year cycle, I feel pretty good about giving someone a stable grounding in the scriptures. And, and just anecdotally, this isn't research 
doesn't prove anything, but I regularly get emails from people who were at Coromdale for four or five years and moved to another city. And what they generally say is, hey, thanks for helping me understand the storyline of the Bible while I was in Omaha. I feel like I'm well-equipped to understand the Bible and serve in the church I'm in now. So generally, I think this is a good and helpful way to think about preaching. Obviously, there's differences of opinion here, and you can do it however you want. Uh, but I think this is a wise way to go. I will tell you, when we preached the book of Isaiah, 66 chapters, we took a full year, 52 weeks, to do the book of Isaiah, but we broke it into three discrete series. So we had one series that ran from January until Easter, another one that ran from Easter into the beginning of the summer, and another one that fall. And we sort of did the first third of Isaiah, the second third of Isaiah, the third third of Isaiah, and we treated them as three almost discrete series so that there was a sense of uh, being able to complete something in two or three months' time. Now, when I say following the church here, here's what I mean. If you look at a church liturgy or a worship guide, generally what you'll find is um, the, the church year begins generally with the Lenten season, which is you know February sometime is usually Ash Wednesday, going through Easter. There's a lot of focus on the suffering, the passion, the death of Christ. So in that season of the year, we generally want to preach things that uh, focus on the person and work of Jesus. After Easter, of course, you're in the season of Pentecost. This is the season of resurrection, the season of the Holy Spirit. And so generally, if you're going to preach the epistles, you're going to talk about what the Christian life looks like. You're going to talk about uh, what does it mean to live in light of the resurrection. The springtime is a great time to do that from Easter into the summer. I encourage every pastor, whether you're in a small church or a large church, to see the summer as almost like a discrete season in the year. People go on vacations in the summer. Kids are generally out of school in the summer. Summer is a different time for a church. Summer is a great time to do a topical series or to camp out in a book of the Bible where there doesn't have to be a lot of week-to-week connection. And you can kind of tackle some things that are interesting and will be devotional to people, but that don't require week-to-week-to-week attendance. And then in the fall, school starting back up again. That's the school year. And in the church year, the fall is where we generally want to focus on the nature and character of God. And so we might do series on uh, what God is like. We might do series in the Old Testament. We might do uh, series in, for instance, we did the Apostles' Creed, uh, those kinds of things in the fall. Uh, Generally, we find and have found over the course of a decade and a half that the fall is our highest momentum time because everybody that, that inertia of getting back into school, people get most excited about jumping into a new series in August or September. And so you can start a new series when school starts and run it through Thanksgiving. You're generally going to have a good 12 to 15 week run where people are engaged. They're excited about what you're preaching. There's a sense of focus on that series. And, that, and so I generally think the highest momentum series, the places where we need the most missional energy, we want to do those in the fall. Um, because that's where we tend to get the most energy. And then in the spring and in the early summer, we want to try to continue to make disciples focusing on the the ministry of Jesus and on sort of the the work of sanctification and the Holy Spirit. Um, In the summers, here's what we've done at Quormdale. I got this from my friend Hunter Beaumont in Denver. We just decided a few years ago, hey, we're going to preach through the Psalms. Uh, We're going to start in Psalm 1, and we're going to go all the way to Psalm 150. It'll probably take us 15 or 20 years. That's how we're going to treat the summers. The reason for that is twofold. Number one, the psalms each kind of stand alone. So it's easy to preach a psalm on a Sunday and feel like I didn't need a bunch, I didn't miss the three sermons before that, or if I'm going out of town next week, I don't feel like I'm missing something. I just got a sermon on Psalm 27, and that was good. But also, because it's one book, there is a sense of consistency, so it feels like there's a coherence throughout the summer. It doesn't feel like we're just sort of random scattershotting, grabbing topics and 
weaving them together, but the Psalms give us a sense of stability and consistency. The summer has also been the time where, as a team, we've tried to do the most development of other preachers. And so the Psalms are easy, because if I say, Ryan, you're preaching Psalm 25, it's a defined text, right? Ryan doesn't have to do a ton of work to understand the nature of the genre and the background. He has to know enough about the Psalms to understand what's happening in Psalm 25. But each Psalm tends to be a discrete piece that is a little easier to study and get your mind around than if I say, hey, you're preaching Ephesians 4. Make sure you understand the whole flow of the book of Ephesians so you can figure out how that text fits. Um, So these are uh, best practices when it comes to building a preaching calendar. I generally think if you'll follow these kinds of patterns, um, you'll be well served. And in the course of four or five years in your church, people will get a sense of the whole counsel of God in chunks that they can actually digest and in a way that fits the momentum of how their soul and their calendar tends to flow. Guys, we've been doing this together for a lot of years. What would you add to the equation in terms of how the preaching calendar tends to work and what we found is effective there? Uh, I do have one thing to add, and then I do have a, a question about this, maybe for those who are Do I need to get my marker pastor. out for the ad? Is it a... Maybe. Go. I don't know. Go. Um, and that is that I think this trains... Um, younger preachers on how to preach the whole counsel of God. Okay. Like you're not just discipling your church. You're also training preachers. Like for me, stepping into Quorum Day, I've been here two years. I've preached in other contexts. Now preaching here, it felt natural and somewhat easy for me to step into the preaching calendar here at Quorum Deo because it was predictable enough that I could anticipate what kind of tone and posture I was going to have to have for a particular time of the year, but also distinct enough that I was still going to be required to do my work. Um, So I've just found found it to be really, really helpful for my own development to kind of work through this kind of preaching calendar year after year. My question is uh, in regards to those who may not occupy the lead pastor role, but who do still do some significant teaching. I'm thinking I'm the director of student ministry, teach the students all through the fall, all through the spring, take a break in the summer. Um, and then maybe those who are preaching, say, to a college crowd that have a similar rhythm, what would you say to them? How is, how is that similar to this? How is that different from this? And any other thoughts on that? It's similar in the sense that I think you want to put it in bite-sized chunks that people can conceivably track along with. So I still think like 8 to 12, you know, a semester is 12 to 15 weeks in the fall, 12 to 15 weeks in the spring, 12 weeks in the summer that are off. So I think generally if you follow that flow, uh, it's still good. I would, I would want to say you probably want to be a little more focused on in those kind of contexts. If you're a college pastor, high school pastor, student ministries, uh, you probably want to focus more on what are the particular needs of that age range in someone's life. Uh, you know, I wouldn't preach Ecclesiastes to a bunch of high school students because they haven't, they, they don't have the, I've tried everything and it's all meaningless yet. Now, they might still need to know that's in the Bible. I would want them to sit in there on a Sunday when I'm preaching that, but I wouldn't say student ministry content, that's great. I probably want to lean more into like books like First and Second Timothy and Titus, books that are written to young people, or books that just teach me about the nature of God, places like Isaiah 40 or the Psalms, right, or Exodus, the major acts and works of God in redemption. So I think there are some ways that gets particularly applied and nuanced when you're preaching to particular audiences or age groups and age ranges. I mean, I know when I was in campus ministry with college students, we always tried to think about, hey, what's every college student need to think about? They need to think about where are they leaning on for success? Where are they going to find their identity? How are they dealing with relationships, friendships, romance? These are the kinds of things that tend to be front and center. 
We don't want to preach just felt need sermons that, that use that. But we also do want to acknowledge that there's certain things about God and about the scriptures that they probably need to be saturated in right now for the sake of what they're facing. In the history of Cormdale, we have preached Romans yep. uh, in Isaiah yep. that were more or less a year. Yep. Um, what, what made you feel like you could kind of go there instead of trying to shrink those down into a little bit more of a digestible chunk? Um, with Isaiah, it was literally challenging myself to see if I could do it. It was sort of like, hey, this is a humongous book, and I'm just, because I think this way, I would just never tackle that book. So like, I don't see how I can fit it in here. And so Mike and I sat down and we're like, hey, how can we break, th- can we break this into three series and figure it out? Um, it just felt like we were ready as a church in that season of time to jump off like that and just spend a year in the prophets. We hadn't done a prophetic book in a long time, and it just felt like that's right. Romans was 2006. It was the early first or second year of our church and just felt like, man, we got a bunch of people who just need grounding in the scriptures and in doctrine. Romans is such a gospel-rich book. It's so easy to preach the gospel from Romans. Let's just do that. So again, I'm not, I, 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 I'm trying to give rules here that allow for exceptions. Sure. So I would never say I only preach eight to 12 week series. I would say generally we try to think this way. And then when you do this, Man, once every five years, you can tackle the Gospel of Luke, or you can tackle Romans, or you can tackle Isaiah. You can do huge, long series that are going to take more work for people because you've built a pattern where it's not, I'm not asking you for a year of your attention at a time. You know? mm-hmm. Bob, is there, can you speak to when you build series, how you actually go about building that framework out? Like, Are you thinking, like, hey, I need a few sermons that hit this? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's like, I know question. you're letting the yeah. book you know, of the Bible work. Yeah, that's a good question. Whatever frame that. Um, yeah, I, that's a place where, and again, that, there's, a, there's a unique sort of skill set or, or requirement there. I'm generally building the actual sermons based on how commentaries set up the book. So I'll look at, I'll, I'll find every commentary I have on the book of Revelation, and I'll ask, how do all these people outline the book? And then from there, I'll work backwards into, is there some sense of agreement among scholars on how the book breaks up. Like when you did 1 John, Justin, while I was on sabbatical, first, every kind of divides 1 John into the same set of chunks. And as Justin and I were looking at, as I looked at what he laid out, I was like, yeah, this is kind of how every commentator would divide the book up. It's just kind of, it's in these sections. There's other books where it's like, no one really agrees on where the divisions are, and you can kind of divide them up seven different ways. Um, but I will generally start with the commentaries. That'll be the first thing. And then the second thing will be, how do I feel like as a preacher... I can do this best. So like when we did the book of Revelation, it was 2011, I think. I did it in a spring. I want to say it was 12 or 13 sermons. And, you know, it's 21 chapters. But it felt like, hey, because of the way the, the book is written, there's places where I can do two chapters in a sermon because those two chapters are sort of setting up the same symbolic events. And so I just need to preach those two chapters at once and then we'll preach these next two chapters. And it was able, I could fit the whole thing into 13 weeks. I felt like that feels a little short to me for a book like Revelation. But I also felt like people are going to get tired of Revelation if I do 26. Like, Revelation is just a book that, like, you need to know it. But if you try to stay in it too long, people just kind of are like, I don't know, man. I can't make sense of this anymore. So there's, there's a wisdom component of what do I feel like I can do as a preacher? And what's going to be best for the people that I'm preaching to? 
to gain an understanding of this book. The same thing was true in Isaiah. We had to combine some chapters to just fit it all into 52 weeks. But the way we did that, I felt like, fit with the way the book flows. Mm -hmm. And so it worked out okay. Uh, we've done books like Titus, 1 John, books of the Bible that kind of stand alone and fit in a sort of digestible uh, series. We've also done sort of series in a way that are like the Reformation series yes. or things that are more topical, more topical yeah. but still have bent. Like what, what do you feel like has driven you to, when we go that route, what, lent, what, what pulls you in that direction? Thank you. Let me just make a statement about where I stand on the whole, should we preach expository sermons or topical sermons? The answer is yes, you should do both. Um, I don't even get into that fight because I think it's a dumb argument. Uh, it, it's great to preach topical sermons as long as you don't only do that. So when we've tackled, we generally do topical series in the flow of that four to five year cycle. So for instance, a couple years ago, uh, I was really convicted as I studied the old catechisms, like the Heidelberg Catechism. They all focus on the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and the Apostles' Creed. That's how all the catechisms are built because everybody knew, hey, kids need to know these three things, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed. So we spent a whole year, those were our three series at Cormdale. We're going to do a series on the Ten Commandments which is all out of Exodus 20. It's out of one chapter. We're going to do a series on the Lord's Prayer, which is all out of Matthew. And we're going to do a series on the Apostles' Creed, which is topical. And the reason we did that is because we realized, hey, the people who worked on those catechisms are recognizing something about how, what we need to know about God. And I want to value the wisdom of the Christian tradition there that those three things matter. Obviously, a series on the Ten Commandments, it doesn't feel very expository. It's like, here's your one verse, Kevin. Preach, you know, like the, you have the commandment and now you have to go, okay, what else does the Bible say about this commandment? Where else does this theme get addressed? You know, it doesn't feel very expository. And so I know there are people out there that say like expository, you know, unless you're working verse by verse through the Bible, you're not preaching expository sermons. I don't believe that. I think expository sermons, according to John Stott and others, are exposing, the, bringing forth the word so that the text structures the sermon. And I think when doing it, like when we're doing the Apostles' Creed, we're saying, okay, we're going to let the Apostles' Creed define the topic, but as we preach that topic, we're going to find a text, and it's the text that's going to describe the sermon. So, you know, we did uh, the Apostles' Creed, each of those little phrases. Hey, what's the text we want to preach that phrase? And let's let that text then structure the sermon itself. Bob, it'd be helpful if you could speak a little bit to preparation. Uh, I know you've, we've talked about the preaching calendar. The last time we looked at a preaching calendar as a team, it was like, three years out. That's because I went on sabbatical. Which is extensive for most places, <laughs> yeah. but nonetheless helpful. So I'm a little bit curious as to how far in advance do you begin thinking about and preparing for a series? It's on the calendar for, say, the fall. I know you do week-to-week -week sermon prep, but how far in advance are you beginning to get all the background information from commentaries and that kind of stuff? In the next episode of this podcast, we're going to talk about how to train a preaching team one of the reasons I'm convinced that's wise is not just for how it develops you guys as preachers, but for the freedom it gives me to get out of the week to week and think about the future. So if I didn't have a team, if I didn't have other people that I could hand stuff off to, I would be a lot less prepared for what are we doing a year from now. The fact that we have a team to lean on allows me to say, hey, I'm not going to preach for this month. And what I'm going to do in that month is think about the next year of the pulpit and try to get out ahead. Um, Justin, Justin's been around long enough to tell you, there's been some seasons where I don't know what we're preaching three weeks from now, and there's been some seasons where I know what we're preaching three years from now. So it, it ebbs and flows a little bit. But I, 
I try to make it my job as a lead pastor of a church that's big enough to have a team to say my job is to get us out ahead as a church and try to think about what we should do a year from now. And the more work I do there, the more it helps our worship team and our preaching team and our kids' ministry team. Just everybody's helped when I know, hey, next fall we're preaching this. Everybody can get ready for it. Um, For me, what I've discovered is the more I know that, my preaching prep actually can happen in the cracks. What I mean by that is in the cracks of my schedule, in the cracks of my day-to-day life. So any, any week, any given week for me, I've got a sermon I'm preaching this upcoming Sunday. Right now, it's on one of the parables of Jesus. So I'm studying and prepping for that sermon. But I don't, if I spend 40 hours this week or 25 hours this week only thinking about that sermon, my brain will explode. I just can't, I can't spend that much time thinking about just one thing. It's really fun for me to say, actually, last Sunday, because right now we're only doing one service and I don't have to preach till 11 a.m., I got to my office at 6 a.m. I know I've got five hours, and I'm, my sermon's pretty ready to go. I don't need to, like, practice it a bunch of times. I spent two hours of Sunday morning prepping next Sunday's sermon just because I was like, I have some margin right now. I'm just going to read some stuff on this next parable. Um, the series that we'll do this fall is in Ecclesiastes. Right now, I've just got some books laying around my house on Ecclesiastes, not because I'm prepping sermons, but I just want to, like, do some reading, do some background reading on that. So... The more you prep a calendar and kind of get out ahead, the more it frees your mind to kind of do the prep in a more ad hoc fashion rather than feeling like, gosh, I got to preach this week on this text and now I got to dive in and do all this study and research to get ready for that. So for me, I've just found the more work I plan here, the more it frees my mind up to actually think ahead and get ahead. One last question about the calendar. Uh, thinking outside of Sundays in terms of Good Friday, yeah. Christmas Eve, do you, do you approach those any differently than you would a normal Sunday? Thank you. Uh, yeah, your special services, Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, Christmas Eve, those kind, you know, even Thanksgiving if you do a service then. I, I tend to approach those as discrete moments. Now, what I will try to do is, uh, for instance, when we were preaching through Isaiah, I, I used an Isaiah passage for Good Friday just fit. You know, we're in the book anyway. So I will try to think about, hey, what are we preaching anyway? And how can I do something on those days that doesn't feel like it's out of left field, but it's in the midst of what we're studying? Uh, And occasionally, I'll fit those into the flow. So like this year, (laughs) until coronavirus messed it up, we were going to do a series on the glory of Jesus, where I was going to focus on uh, incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection. And Good Friday just fit into that flow. So I sort of had a Good Friday sermon that was just going to be part of that series. But that's unusual. I think in general, I treat those as sort of discrete moments where you want to have some freedom. And we always treat Advent that way too. Just Advent's kind of always the same. It's always, we're always going to sort of do the themes of Advent. We're going to try to do them from different places in scripture, but rarely is Advent a whole lot of, uh, um, you know, reinventing the wheel at Quorum Deo. It's usually a lot of pretty, pretty familiar themes that we're trying to tap in new ways. All right, so I hope that's a helpful podcast for you as you think about building a preaching calendar, as you think about setting up the pulpit for success over time. And I will tell you, though this takes discipline, though you got to get away and have enough time to get ahead, 
that that discipline pays dividends when you don't feel the pressure of what am I going to preach on next week. So though this might take some rigor for you in creating the space in your calendar to do this kind of planning work, it's really, really worth it uh, when you get the benefit of knowing what you're preaching on in a few months and not feeling the pressure of it. So I hope that helps you. In the next episode, we'll talk a little bit about how to cultivate a team approach to preaching. Whether you have a large staff or whether you got to lean on lay people in your church, uh, there's a way that you can start to invest in other preachers, and we want to talk about that in the next episode.